0: Or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. I resisted creating this episode. In fact, I am recording this the day before this episode is supposed to come out. And that is not how I work anymore. I do not... <laughs> Come quite down to the wire the way that I have for this episode. But as I was crafting what I wanted to say this week, I couldn't really get away from some of these ideas. They just kept coming up again and again in my journaling and in my five minutes of silence that I like to do. And so I'm going to overcome my resistance and talk to you today about mistakes that I don't regret. So that seems like those ideas should be in juxtaposition. They are contrasting ideas because for the most part, when we make mistakes, they are something we at least mildly regret. I don't really know that I believe in happy mistakes, happy accidents, maybe, but mistakes that we don't regret, it's sort of a weird idea. So hear me as I'm talking through these mistakes, that it's not that there's no regret in these things that I'm going to talk about. There is some ways in which, you know, I wish the story had unfolded differently, or I wish I had made different decisions. It's not like hashtag no regrets. Hashtag you only live once. That's not really the vibe here. What I'm trying to talk through is mistakes that I am recognizing as not the ideal on my part. In my decision making or the way that I let things happen, it was not perfection. I could have done it better. I could have done it differently. But all in all, something about the experience brought me to... Where I am, or brought something really exceptionally meaningful into my life, and that's where we get the part of not really regretting it. Rest assured, I could have done a whole episode of many, many mistakes that I have made that I do, in fact, regret. And I actually thought about doing an episode like that, but the problem with Talking through some of those stories is a lot of them involve other people, and a lot of them involve situations in which people don't want me airing my mistakes, which also affects their own life, onto the world wide web. So, today we're going to talk about mistakes that I don't regret. Why is this a worthy exercise for me and possibly for you? Because if we're to look at these episodes as like prompts or food for thought, or things for us to journal about ourselves. Why are we thinking in December around mistakes? And this is sort of another part of my resistance to wanting to do this episode right now in the middle of the holiday season. But the fact is the holiday season coincides with being the end of the calendar year. And at the end of the calendar year, I, like many of you, get nostalgic and reflective and I'm already sort of working on those episodes I love to do towards the end of the year about like the lessons I've learned, 10 takeaways from the year. I really love to get super reflective on a year and one of those things that you know is worthy of thinking through when we come to the end of anything is what went wrong or what could we do better next time. And so I was sort of in that mind space as I was thinking through some of these things. Now, none of these things will happen next time. As you hear what I'm going to share about my education, my marriage, my business, and my body, some of these things are old news. They're not something I can take back. No take backs here. But some of them, perhaps with friendship, perhaps with business, there's something that we can learn from going forward. And at the end of this episode, after I share with you my mistakes that I do not regret, I did a call for listener voices to send me a voice memo on the biggest life lesson that they have learned in the last few years. That's how I posed that question. The biggest life lesson that you have learned in the last few years, which is maybe an easier journal prompt if you are looking for a way to easily reflect on this whole episode. So that will be at the end. Let me start right now with my number one mistake that I don't regret, and that is I did not care enough about college. This might be kind of a common one to look back on that time in our lives and think, wow, did I not take advantage of that gift. But for me, there's some pretty big misses in that time in my life. The first of which is that I didn't want to go to college at all. In fact, I think I told my parents at wise old age of 17, that I was not going to go to college, I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to move away somewhere and sit in cafes and have a big adventurous life. And, you know, I had lots of dreams. And my parents, in their wisdom, I actually credit this with one of the most genius parenting moves that they ever made. They told me that I had to go to college for one year. I just had to try it education was very important in my family very important i think they were probably baffled beyond that i didn't care about it but they did tell me that i had to go for one year and of course they knew this was what was genius about it is they knew my personality and they knew that i was going to get there and want to stay i was going to make friends i was going to get involved in organizations You know, it was going to be a whole scene, and I would most likely love it, and I would most likely finish or at least go beyond one year. And they were right. Of course, that's exactly what I did. But here is why I'm calling this a mistake, because I took the lowest bar of this negotiation with my parents, I, like the lowest bar possible, I took it. So I didn't apply to anywhere else besides the State University, which is where my sister went, was an hour up the road. I was very familiar with it. I didn't do a single other campus tour anywhere else. I got a couple of scholarships, one from the university itself, the other from a private foundation. I just took the laziest route possible and didn't look anywhere else. Now, The hubris at the time, I thought that I was just going to take the one year and run, not really seeing it from the bird's eye view that my parents were seeing it. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with pursuing that school. It's a great school. It was University of Oklahoma. A ton of my friends were going there. My parents went there. Like I said, my sister went there. Like it was just the path of least resistance for me. I did not give any thought to, will I fit here? Does this have a major or program that I really care about. I mean, like nothing. I literally did none of that. And even when I was there, I just skated through. I just took the bare minimum of what I needed to take to fulfill my major requirements, to honor my scholarship requirements. But I did not take advantage of the oodles and oodles of opportunities that were happening At A big university that has so much that you can be involved in, that you can experience, you know, like the different types of people and classes and entertainment and clubs and even just like pretty places on campus that I didn't spend any time or have any interest in or explore at all. And it's just such a bratty, entitled mindset when I look back on it. Now, I enjoyed my time in college. I joined a sorority. I made some amazing friends. Like, there's so many memories during that time. But I know that it's not what it could have been. I feel like I had so much potential and a lot of talent or energy that just, it wasn't fostered in any way because I didn't have any idea that that was an option my eyes like were not open to it and i look back now and it just feels like the absolute biggest swing and a miss now i'm in my 40s and clearly life after college turned out fine for me both personally and professionally so why are we talking about this well one of the reasons that it's been on my mind sort of extra special is that my daughter lucy is currently in The process of applying for middle schools here in Los Angeles. My kiddos go to private school here in LA and the application process for both kindergarten and middle and high school is three times more, 10 times more rigorous than the non-process that I went through to go to OU or that any of my friends I know went through to go to college that wasn't like Ivy League or whatever, it is so competitive and so complicated, this process. It's not just applying, it's interviewing and touring and sucking up and building out portfolios and like all of this kind of crazy thing for multiple schools. And so it is on my mind constantly right now, because one of the things that they're asking us, even as we apply for seventh grade, you know, one of the things that we're supposed to have our eye on is the future education of our child. So it's not just for middle school. It's, you know, certain middle schools and high schools lead to certain types of colleges, lead to certain types of careers. There's like this whole trajectory that you're supposed to be on, or at least be in the lane, some kind of a lane. Now, Jeff and I both do not think about college in this way. Jeff went to a great, very prestigious college, Washington University in St. Louis, Wash U. He's a proud alumni there. So like we're both college graduates. We want our kids to go to college if that's what they want, but like we are neither of us are obsessed with education maybe in the way that we're supposed to be according to the culture that we're swimming in right now. And I'm glad that we're not. I mean, that's a approach in our parenting that we're completely on the same page about, but it does have me in my feelings about my own wasted educational choices when I was younger and lack of mentorship in that area. I've also never experienced anything like this. Applying to these private schools in LA is a bananas, y'all. I mean, it is fascinating, but I went to Oklahoma public schools. Like, there was not a choice where I lived of where to go to school. Uh, There was more than one high school, but it was dependent on your zip code, your neighborhood. Other than that, you know, the choices were pretty narrow. And while I often long for that simplicity when I'm writing an essay about the strengths and weaknesses of my 12-year-old, it is also just making me think about my own personal mindset when I was young around education and how it just, it didn't really serve me going forward. There was so much that I really could have learned and earned and enjoyed even if I'd been on the right path. And I just, I i never, I missed the mark in my education, like almost from day one, like literally from my own middle school choices on, on through high school, on through college. I just, I never really understood what was being offered at any level and what a gift even the most basic education is and and how far it can take you. Now, as for the second part of this prompt, why don't I feel regret around this mistake? Well, a few things. I have all kinds of grace for 17, 18, 19-year-old Lara, Like, There are lots of things out of my control. There are lots of things I didn't know that I didn't know. And then, of course, like I already said, there were really good things that came out of my time in college, really, really good things. Friendships, especially, that really have contributed to who I am today. I wish that that was a more complex and nuanced story. I wish that I had all of these professors and experiences and leadership things, and I wish I had like a very stacked remembrance of that time. And that's not so true. It's a pretty simple time in my life. But I think of it now, and this is what makes it not a regret. I think of it now as a bridge to the next part of my life. What 17-year-old Laura wanted, to not go to college, to go write in a rainy city, live a big adventure, is still what... 22-year-old Laura wanted, and what she got when I moved to Los Angeles 20 years ago. What I wanted out of my life didn't change so much in those years, but would it have been a different story if I had moved here or anywhere at 17 than it was at 22? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it would have. That bridge of time was crucial for just, you know, maturing a little going through some different relationships, getting a job for the first time and working, like all of those things that I did under the safe umbrella of college and being funded by my parents and all of that. So I feel like that timing was a bridge to then what became the rest of my life, and I'm super grateful for it. I'm including that part because I think a lot of us listening have kids that will eventually go to college or are in college right now, and I wonder if it's an encouragement to hear or just solidarity to hear that, like, college, it isn't the determining factor for the rest of your life, for the rest of your kid's life. It can sometimes just be as simple as a bridge, a bridge to who they are going to be next. And if you have young person regrets or things that you would really identify as mistakes, I wonder if you could think about it this week as we're talking about mistakes that are not regrets and wonder if you can reframe them as a bridge, a transition period, something you really needed to learn until you moved into the next stage. I do have some wistfulness around that time. That's what makes it a mistake. (laughs) But in the big picture, I don't regret how I suppose the whole entire thing unfolded because there are ways that it could have gone differently that were not as smooth. And me taking the path of least resistance was a little bit lazy, a little bit defiant, a little bit immature, but it also led me to the hard work that came after. (laughs) The hard work of moving to LA and starting a whole life fresh and the struggle of my twenties. I know some people do that backwards. They really struggle in college or with their educational part or with a calling or with a occupation or grad school or whatever. And when they get through that, then they maybe enter their exact perfect lane. They struggled for it, you know, but they got there. And for me, it was a little bit different. I coasted, but sometimes floating down the river will still take you where you need to be. This episode is sponsored by Acorn TV. Can you believe that the holidays are here? Christmas is just two and a half weeks away. I am so looking forward to spending some quality time with my family. Admittedly, we will be on the couch. And there is so much to watch this time of year. We cannot help but congregate in the living room. We will certainly have Acorn TV streaming over the school break. Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals that you won't find anywhere else. With Acorn TV, there's always something new to discover. A new TV show that recently caught my eye is called Under the Vines, starring Charles Edwards, who you might recognize from The Crown and Downton Abbey. It's set at a winery in New Zealand and dubbed a humorous romantic drama, which... Sounds like a fun holiday watch. Acorn TV gives you thousands of hours of content for a fraction of the cost of other streaming services. Acorn TV is just $5.99 a month, and if you sign up for an annual subscription, you get two months on them. You can also stream Acorn TV on any device or tablet. It is compatible with all the normal options like Apple TV, Roku, or any Apple or Android device. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and entering promo code U, but you have to enter it in all lowercase letters. That's Acorn a c o r n dot tv and enter promo code u y o u all in lowercase for your first thirty days free. Okay, next number two on the mistakes that are not regrets. This one a little bit tricky to talk about, and I don't like talking about it super publicly because I feel like it can really be misconstrued and misunderstood. I'm saying, but I'm going to say it here because there absolutely is no more epitome of a mistake that is not a regret than this. I had to beg Jeff to marry me. Now, I did it. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad he consented. So in that case, this makes it not a mistake and certainly not a regret. And yet, When I look back on that time, I want to slap myself upside the head because I was way, way too old to let someone else determine my worth, to have to convince them that I, it was a good decision. And I would never, never want Lucy, my daughter, to be in this same position, I would tell Lucy, if it came to her being in this same or similar position, that if you are having to convince someone of your worth or your future, if you are having to like make a case for yourself, run for the hills. This is not the person for you. The person that you marry should feel that they have won the life lottery, just as you should feel that way. Now, should there be a lot of practical decision-making around getting married? Yes, of course. Love is not enough. Like, goo eyes love is not a reason to pledge your soul to someone else. But the practicalities of forging forward with a life partnership, there has to be an equality there and that you're both feeling like you are getting the best possible partner. Now, to be fair, I think that on our wedding day, Jeff thought that. I think he thinks that now. But there were a couple of years in there when we were dating that he had either turned off the switch in his mind of heart and heart. He told me he never wanted to be married. He never wanted to have children. He told me that when we first started dating, and so he just wasn't even thinking in those terms for a good year plus of our dating life. And then when it became clear that we were going to be more serious, and I really did want to get married and have a family, we entered a good year plus of me trying to convince him it was a good idea. This is not the power dynamic that I would ever want again in a relationship, ever. Not a romantic one, not a business one, not a friendship, nothing. This is a terribly unequal power dynamic, which in the terms of me and Jeff, was further fueled by like a literal power dynamic. When we met, he was my boss. We stopped working together soon after we started dating. But there was sort of that relational rapport that for a long time remained as boss employee, even though we weren't literally anymore. And in fact, we're dating. There was also a huge age gap. I was 25, Jeff was 38. I was barely out of the sorority house, he was on his second successful career. Like we were in really different places in life. And while that doesn't have to be a barrier at all, I actually don't think like objectively that that those things were barriers, but they contributed to this very unequal relationship that persisted on my side into our early years of marriage. I think that he was a lot quicker to drop a lot of those things. I carried forward a lot of baggage of feeling like an employee, of feeling a little resentful that I'd had to do all this begging, that even when I, you know, got what I wanted, I still emotionally punished him a little bit. I had a lot of insecurities in our relationship and in our early marriage. I had a lot of insecurities that I you know, carried with me. And the way that I act out insecurities, by the way, is to act um, kind of pompous, like kind of obnoxiously independent and superior. And that's how I get when I am feeling insecure. Like not top of mind, by the way, it's all sort of subconscious. But when I look back, I can see that that's exactly what was happening. And those are not really attractive qualities. So I wasn't exactly like helping myself along with that type of attitude, especially after we were married, but it was something that we had to work through. To me, this is of my whole life. Marrying Jeff is one of the best decisions of my whole life. It's, you know, absolutely shaped my past two decades, but it is also those early years, also some of my biggest mistakes and how I carried myself, handled myself, degraded myself almost, which he wasn't asking me to do. I do feel like I should clarify that he wasn't like judge and jury, like forcing me to make a case for marriage. But that's how I was approaching it. And that was a mistake. I think that was a mistake. And if I could go back and handle myself differently, I wonder if the outcome wouldn't have saved me years of angst in our early marriage, because I think that we would have ended up married anyway. I think that we are meant to be married. But I spent so much of that time proving my worth and then defending the decision to get married. And then, you know, trying to like prove I was right, which was just, it wasn't a great posture. I mean, God bless him for Sticking it out all of those years. And he he is not to be given a whole pass. By the way, he should have recognized that I was his future. But, you know, he didn't at first. And he certainly did not manage the power inequality. Well, at all. He made some of his own huge mistakes back then, which I've talked about in more of a business context, in that he fired me, wouldn't let me uh, work on his TV shows or movies anymore. That was a huge rift in our relationship that also carried forward. So there was a lot of mistakes on both sides, but since I can only speak for myself in this context, it is mistake after mistake after mistake, but yet. I don't have any real regrets about it, deep regrets about it. I obviously have regrets in that I wish I had done it differently, conducted myself differently. And so there are those like surface feminist regrets. But on a deep level, on a soul level, it turned out just how we both needed it to. We we both learned so much and we both let it bring us together instead of driving a wedge and driving us apart That I think for the overall good of our lives, it was a journey we both had to take. But yeah, mistakes galore. If you want to hear more about that part of my story, I write a whole section about that in my book, Share Your Stuff. I'll go first. Okay, here is mistake number three that is a mistake and not a regret. This one is on the business side, and this one's like a little bit trickier to explain, but I'm going to give it my best shot because I've wanted to talk about some of this a little bit for years now. I'm still not totally sure how to do it, but let me take a shot at it. So here's the mistake. In my current career, which is comprised of podcasting, book writing, and social media, which has kind of taken the place of blogging, which is where I started, but basically writing online, sharing myself online. In that career, I have never offered one solidified message or topic. And in fact, what I have always shared online over all these years, all the many topics of parenthood, reading, anxiety, sharing ourselves, style even sometimes, all the things that I have written about and shared about in 12 years of working online – I have never, from a business perspective, honed in on one thing. And not only that, of all of those things, I have continually, repeatedly watered it down with all the caveats. So I suffer from this thing where I have a strong opinion, I can make a strong statement, and then dadgummit, if I do not muddy the waters every time by saying, well, you might feel this, or you you know, might be receiving my words in this way, or if you're this, you won't agree with me, or whatever. I try to get ahead of the responses to whatever strong statement or strong opinion I have by covering all my bases, covering all the angles. And I've just never managed to not do this. Let me tell you something that in real life, I do not do this. (laughs) I mean, I do it less. I feel like in real life, I'm much more apt to like, have a spicy take on something or joke around in a way that's not all like love and light to all people. I'm sure you've seen glimpses of it when I've had friends on the show, guests on the show, and I'm sort of being my more relaxed self. I know for sure that the secret stuff community has seen it on our Zooms when we get together and I'm just like absolutely being my truest self. But for some reason, when I am solo like this on the mic or on social media, or whatever, I, I give disclaimers and caveats and whatever. Now on social media, when it's in the written word, I can catch myself better and like edit the caption, you know, to make it a stronger sentence. I'm much better of sort of seeing on the page that I've watered down my point. But it's something that I'm really learning, like sort of just standing in your opinion, in your value, in your truth without over explaining and without accommodating for every single person that's going to scroll on by. And now I don't think of this as a regret. So this is a business mistake in that it means that I've never really had a super strong quote unquote brand. I hate that word, but I mean that in the most generous way of being known for this really strong take on something. I see other women doing this. They do it so well. I admire how well they can just make a statement and let it stand. I, and I am not, like, please hear me that I'm not even talking about, like, necessarily controversial things or not. I mean, although I guess that's sometimes a part of it. But really, I'm just talking about, like, anything. Like, let let me just take the most benign example. This isn't a great example because I'm very pro-red lipstick, but just so you understand what I'm saying, if I were to be like everyone should wear red lipstick, well, then it is like just in my nature, professionally, to be like, well, I mean, unless you have the wrong skin tone for red, or maybe you do not feel in your spirit like a red-lipped person. <laughs> like, do you? Can you hear what I'm saying? Can you hear that I do that on this show all the time? I'm laughing at myself. It's actually like an affliction. <laughs> especially because that isn't necessarily who I am offline. Offline, I am like less accommodating, if you will. It's not a regret because I want to be inclusive. I want people to be able to hear what I'm saying and open their mind or heart to the possibility of red lipstick if they've never thought of themselves as a red lipstick person. And to me, I am softening the idea, like by couching it the way that I often do, by giving caveats and disclaimers and seeing it from a bunch of angles, I hope that I'm letting people in to a conversation that they would normally just avoid, right? So like, I don't think about it that strategically as I just said it, except I think that's what I'm doing subconsciously. And so for me, in that way, it's not really a regret. I want everyone to feel welcome at the table. I want people to be able to hear a message or an idea that would have made them click unfollow if I had just stated it as a strong, bold statement, if that makes sense. So it's not really a regret, but I'm here to tell you absolutely, like unequivocally, it is a business mistake. (laughs) It's a business mistake. By not being super clear and concise with pretty much one particular message or topic, it's definitely been somewhat of a hindrance in a business situation. Because the second part of this, besides just strong statements, no caveats, the second part of this is about one topic. So a lot of us who were mom bloggers back in the day, a lot of us, before they started calling it lifestyle blogging, were certainly blogging about things besides motherhood. So I used to write about motherhood on Mondays. I had Mommy Mondays. And then that kind of freed me up to the rest of the week because I blogged five days a week for years to write about all kinds of other things. I used to write about home decor, style, anxiety, what I was reading, of course, and a lot of those things I still do share. Well, quite a few of the women that I considered colleagues, fellow bloggers from back in those years, the ones that were really business savvy and the ones that were really talented at what they did, a lot of them like niched down, right? Which that was the business advice we received at the blogging conferences. And in a lot of ways, those were right. They became just book bloggers or just style bloggers, home decor bloggers, whatever. And they sort of dropped the mommy stuff, whatever it is that they did, they narrowed it down and they did it very, very well. And I watched a lot of these women become uber successful by pivoting into a more professional sphere from when all of us were just sort of like journaling online. Now, don't think that I didn't notice it then and Call it out to myself, then, and like even try to think about how would this work for me? What if I only became a book blogger because that's something that I love to talk about and I get a lot of response when I talk about reading? Or what if I became only a style blogger? I only entertained that idea for four seconds. If you do not know this, style blogging is so hard. And if you follow, if you follow any style bloggers for funsies, like take a moment this month during the holidays and really appreciate that what they do is actually such grueling work. It's really hard. Anyway, when I thought for myself about what could I really narrow down to and really hone in and become like an expert on something or known for something or whatever, and it just, it never, I could, I just could never give up all the other topics. (laughs) Like I, I just couldn't imagine only writing about anxiety I mean, that's maybe not necessarily a genre of online work, but maybe it is. I don't know. I just couldn't really give all of it up that I wanted to share. Now, of course, in the last couple of years, through this show and then my book, I've really become super passionate about my very grand thesis that sharing yourself will make you less lonely. I believe that deeply. I will talk about that for years longer. Like, I really... Love talking about sharing yourself. I love leading the online challenges, which I did long before this show. Like, I really love that. And so that's maybe become a little bit of what I'm known for. But also, you know, I want to lead a book club, which is a big part of secret stuff. And that doesn't have anything to do with sharing yourself. I mean, I hope you share yourself in book club, maybe, but really, we're there to talk about books and like great books and whatever. So I understand that I am a mess of a message online. And this is something I talk about in my mastermind, or I've talked about with other blogger friends, like, I get it. It's not that I'm oblivious to it. And it fits really perfectly in our topic today of mistakes that are not really regrets. and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping. Available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. and use code U, Y-O-U. Okay, this next one is the only one that I have to bend the rules a tiny bit on because it is absolutely a mistake and I do have regrets. So I'm bending the rules. I think it's worth talking about anyway. It is a mistake I do wish that this had really gone down way differently. The only way you can frame this up as no regrets is that I learned from it and we're moving forward from it, but it is absolutely not what I would have chosen before, during, or after. And that is the multiple times I really didn't listen to my body and the fact that it got me into some really bad situations. So way back on episode 49, one of my very favorite episodes of this show from January 2020, before the world changed, episode 49 was an episode called Where Are Your Band-Aids? And it's talking about the places in your life that you've just sort of slapped a band-aid on metaphorically, or I suppose literally, that really they need more attention than that. Like you need to see a doctor metaphorically or literally. And One of the stories that I shared in that episode that is uh, such a lesson for me that comes up all the time is this story of when one of my babies was a toddler, I bent down, I don't even remember which child it was, (laughs) might have been Finch. I bent down to pick up Finch and my neck just like froze. I like literally could not move my head one or the just locked up. I could not move my head one way or the other. And it was terrible and it lasted for days. And I did sort of try to see someone at the time. It That's sort of a long, dumb part of the story that doesn't matter. I, it didn't get seen about. It didn't work itself out. And I was like on a heating pad and ice and ibuprofen and like all the things until it sort, sort of relaxed itself. Well, not connecting the dots here, because at the time I had like babies and toddlers and whatever. I went on, not immediately, this is why I didn't connect the dots, but I then went on after this event for several years, years, where I had so much shoulder pain that I attributed to carrying a really heavy purse, which I did back then, to bad posture, which I had. This was before I'd started Pilates and really started working and paying attention to my body with carrying babies on my hip all the time, which I also did, which threw my body out of whack for a long time. Like I had reasons that I sort of attributed a lot of back, neck and shoulder pain, also sitting at a desk all day at a computer. And I treated this with like regular massages. I treated this with like purposely trying to build up muscle around that area because in the meantime, I did start Pilates and started working with some body stuff and realizing that one side of my body was weaker than the other. Like all these things, y'all, all these things that I did to help this shoulder blade, this pain around my shoulder blade that would flare up and then go away for a while and flare up and whatever. It was constant. I sort of thought it was like, just getting older, like this is a aches and pains, like that's just kind of what I told myself. Well, then in the spring of I don't even know what year that must have been twenty nineteen, because I'm talking about it on the podcast in twenty twenty. In the spring of twenty nineteen, I locked up again the same way that I had done in that years and years ago, picking up a toddler, and I could not literally move my head to the right or left. Well, my Pilates teacher sent me to her chiropractor. I at that moment was not into chiropractors at all. I had been raised in an environment where chiropractors were considered to be like snake oil salesmen. They weren't really doing anything. Like I had a lot of misconceptions. I had actually seen a chiropractor at a different time in my life and that situation had sort of proved my taught bias at that time and I had really like had had almost a borderline traumatizing experience with a chiropractor years and years ago who basically hurt me. Okay? So cut to this 2019 time when I couldn't move and it was really really scary and painful, I went to my Pilates teacher's chiropractor on her recommendation. And because I couldn't get into a doctor like same day, and I was in so much pain and so uncomfortable that I was willing to try anything. And I got there and this amazing chiropractor who I've seen since, by the way, multiple times, I really, really connected with him and loved him. He saw immediately and said, you have a rib out of place, like way out of place and he fixed it for me, I walked out of that place, and I was still very sore and um, inflamed, but I could move in a way my body had not moved for years. That dadgum shoulder pain, shoulder blade pain, had all that time been an out-of-place rib. It had been something that was fixable. I'd been massaging it and putting a heating pad on a Out of place rib. It's like the dumbest thing. If I had sat and listened (laughs) to my body or to science or to someone with actual knowledge, besides my own self who was convinced it was just a normal ache or pain, I would have saved myself years and years of pain, of like literal pain and inflammation and limited mobility sometimes. Like it was, it is, again, an exception to this rule because I get so mad at myself when I think about this because it is the absolute opposite of what I preach to others. And like listening to your body, getting silent with yourself, tuning into your intuition, all those things that I say, I neglected to do for myself with my back pain, shoulder pain. And I just am like, can you hear it? I'm like literally still furious about it. And cannot, in good faith, call that a mistake without a regret because it is a mistake with regret. But it really did teach me a life lesson. I think about that life lesson that I learned about listening to yourself, about not putting yourself last uh, on the priority list, about tuning into your body and your intuition and all of those things that I learned out of that stupid experience. I think about that like at least once a week of like, okay, am I band-aiding this? Is this an out-of-place rib metaphorically? (laughs) Is this thing that I'm ignoring really an out-of-place rib and it's something that can be fixed actually quite quickly and easily and I'm making it worse? I ask myself that. And I haven't shared that story for a couple of years on the show. It's a story worth repeating, and it also just fits so perfectly into a mistake, except, okay, there are regrets y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Okay, so lastly, I do want to share with you some listener life lessons. Life lessons are not exactly the same as mistakes or no regrets. I get that, but I've just been thinking a lot about life lessons and how many of these also came out of mistakes I've made, right? Or regrets or something. They are the best at teaching us our life lessons, right? So I hope as you listen through to my experiences and stories that I shared today and then Listen to these listener life lessons that you'll have a little light bulb moment for your own that maybe you would want to share with a trusted friend, take to your journal, toss out around a holiday dinner table, if that makes sense in your life. Because I love these kinds of conversations. So here come the listeners. Thanks for listening, friends. Now go share something. I'm Steen from Virginia, and my life lesson is to just hire movers. We moved ourselves after years of the military moving us into a three-story townhouse. And with all of your moving stories, I just have to say, this is the last time at age 45 I will ever move myself into a house because I'd rather spend the money. Have a nice day. Hi, Laura and friends, Wisconsin Rachel. One of my biggest life lessons in the last five years has been to jump off of that competitive suffering train and not worry about how big or how small anyone's or even my own, especially, suffering is because it doesn't matter. Pain is pain. And we all could use some support and some love. I'm Celeste from Alabama, and I've learned to utilize my BDE or Big D*** Energy If I'm feeling nervous or anxious in a particular situation, I take a calming breath and access my BDE, which reminds me that I'm brilliant and absolutely capable of anything and everything. Feeling nervous to ask for a raise or have a difficult conversation with your partner? Utilize your BDE and go in with confidence. Please note that no specific genitalia is required to possess BDE. Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Heidi from Vacaville, California. I've learned a couple of things. The first is advice my friend and I always give each other, and that is to sleep on it. This can be before you send a text, make a call, or have a certain conversation. It gives you time to calm down and think it over. If you don't have 24 hours, you can still take a step back and collect your thoughts before taking action. The other piece of wisdom is from a BetterHelp therapist I talked to last year. She told me, You can't care more than they do. This has been really liberating. When I'm taking on someone else's problems or trying to fix something, I stop myself and say, wait, you're caring more than they do. They have to step up too. I hope this advice helps. Take care. Hi, this is Tracy from Wilmington, Delaware, and one of the life lessons I keep needing to relearn is that this too shall pass. It seems like it can apply in almost any area of life, but for me it's been particularly true in parenting. We started out as foster parents for about a decade and are now raising our own children. And it's easy to get caught up in the overwhelm of what's hard right now, but I just need to keep reminding myself that no matter what the situation, this too shall pass. Hi, my name is Colleen from Illinois, and the biggest lesson I've learned in the last few years is to go ahead and do the thing you've dreamt of doing, even though you're not sure how it will work out or where it will lead. After years of dreaming of starting my own podcast, I gathered all my courage and launched one a few years ago. Even though that podcast didn't go where I hoped it would, I learned invaluable tools in the process, and that led me to a job editing and producing other people's podcasts. I never would have been able to do this work if I hadn't thrown myself fully into what felt like a silly little dream at the time, and I'm so thankful that I did. you've just listened to the 10 things to tell you podcast you can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 things slash podcast and you can follow us on facebook and instagram at 10 things to tell you remember this is an interactive podcast i have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell so take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.